Tech World Podcast number 403 for April 16th, 2014. Brought to you by iFixit, New Relic, and ShareFile by Citrix. We're back once again on the Macworld Podcast, and I am still not Chris Breen. Sadly, no. I'm, I'm Chris Breenless this week, but uh, Chris Breen is having, you know, the time of his life on vacation, so. I am Dan Moore, and sitting in once again for Chris Breen. And, and I am Serenity Caldwell, um, who is not sitting in for Chris Breen, who in fact is a semi-regular on this podcast. You're sitting in for yourself. I'm sitting in for myself. I'm definitely sitting down. That's good. I'm standing, actually, in front oh. of this fancy new boom mic setup I've got here. It's well, pretty cool. aren't you fancy? I like to think so, certainly. Um, yeah, so uh, what's been going on this week? Anything anything interesting? God, there's all sorts. I think we, we made a, quite a list uh, talking about it. Let's, uh, let's start off with um, the interesting uh, non-Apple news, which is... Non-Apple news. Non-Apple I'm news, a- I know. Peace. The Macworld, Macworld podcast, what are we thinking? Well, it's kind of Apple news in that Amazon has bought Comixology, uh, which is – I would say when I saw the news, I was not – it's unexpected but not surprising. Um, Amazon, of course, is you know giant company that deals with everything from soap to books. Uh, but it also has this soap giant – Soap to books, by the way, is the books. new soup to nuts. Yes, uh, chicken soup for the soap or something like that. <laughs> uh, so Amazon has, of course, the Kindle and the Kindle Fire and has a quite robust ebook uh, platform. But the one place they've kind of been lacking is in their comics coverage. Uh, Dan, you've had the pleasure to read a comic on the Kindle lately. And I you don't know talk if I'd the- <laughs> say pleasure. I did. Uh, actually, a friend of ours, Renee Ritchie from iMore, sent me a comic book for a as a sort of background reading for a podcast I'm supposed to be on with him next month. Um, and so I was reading. He, he's, he explained, and, and for good reason, that he gifted it to me on the Kindle because it was the only thing that allows international gifts, and he lives in Canada. Um, so, you know, good reasons for that. Uh, but the experience of reading a comic book on the Kindle app on my iPad was less than stellar, especially having read um, comic books in Comixology's app, which is not perfect, but actually pretty good. Um, and I think my biggest problem was, so they have this sort of, if you ever use Comixology, they have what they call their, their guided view, where you sort of go from panel to panel. Um, and like you sort of zoom in on a panel and then you'll like swipe and it'll kind of zip you to the next panel with not quite an animation, but like it is a little bit animated. Um, mm-hmm. And the Kindle app tries to kind of replicate that experience, but it does it really poorly. Um, and so a lot of times I had trouble finding out like, oh, my God, did I actually tap on the first panel? Am I going in the right order in panels? Because it was I mean, admittedly, this comic book was a little less linear than many, um, but it was hard to tell if I was going in the correct order and I kept being afraid I was missing things and I couldn't zoom as easily into panels to see details. Um, Overall, it felt very much like that functionality had been shoehorned into the traditional book reading part of it. So it was definitely kind of disappointing. And then it was like the next day I saw the Amazon news and thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. Comixology's Comixology's reader software is a lot better. Um, They've got a much better setup sort of for buying comics because they handle all the digital single issues um, and stuff like that, not just graphic novels. I don't think Amazon tends to do digital issues, or if they do, I would be surprised if they did as many as Comixology. Uh, Comixology also has in-app purchase set up, so they've got their own little store, and you can buy stuff directly in the app, which, of course, you cannot do with the Amazon app, because they don't want to give Apple their 30%. So 
Um, it'll be interesting. Our, our colleague Jason Snell wrote a good editorial over on Tech Hive. Uh, I think it ended up cross-posted on Macworld about sort of what this means. And he was very bullish on it, saying that, you know, if you look at the Amazon's history of acquiring uh, other companies, they often let them sort of remain autonomous. I mean, something like Zappos, uh, Audible, that kind of stuff. You know, they, they sort of subsist as their own individual entities just with a few more ties directly into the Amazon ecosystem. Um, but, you know, given that Amazon has the Kindle Fire now, um, I could definitely see it wanting to push uh, comics to that platform. So uh, it will be interesting, I think, to see what they what they decide to do with it. You read you read a lot of comics, too, though not necessarily as many sort of graphic novel type comics. But what do you, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, currently Apple has a, a big jump over Amazon in terms of the delivery of comics uh, in Apple's iBook store, while not as robust as Comixology's and while, you know, Comixology certainly has those nice features like uh, like, uh, panel-to-panel scan. um, The iBook store is generally a much nicer place to to view comics. Uh, The designs tend to be a lot better. I I had a Rocketeer comic that I read uh, pretty recently, and that was actually a real pleasure to read whether I was reading on my iPhone or on my iPad in the iBook store. So uh, especially for for comic books, I think it will be interesting. Not only – I agree with you and Jason that uh, Amazon is likely to keep Comixology running as a a separate product, but I wouldn't be surprised if Comixology's engineers uh, found themselves also working on making the Kindle store and the the back end behind KF8 a little more robust for for people developing comics. Well, that's good because they need need the help that they can get. I think that uh, digital comics is interesting for me. I haven't I haven't spent a lot of time investing in it, and I have some friends who are much bigger comic readers than I am, uh, and and a couple of them have definitely been loath to sort of move to digital comics, especially because of the restrictions on things like lending. Um, so you know, I have a friend who buys a lot of comic books, and I borrow a lot of comic books from him. And as of yet, there's no way for me to lend him comics that I buy in Comicsology. Uh, or on the Kindle app. Now, Amazon, of course, has had some lending, but it's been very, very limited. And knowing kind of the operating model for Comixology and 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 Amazon, for that matter, I don't think, I wouldn't sort of hold my breath and expect any better lending support anytime soon, unfortunately. Sadly, no. I think that's more the publishers than anything else. Well, sure. And they want to make their, they want to make their money, right? And they, they make a lot more money, you know, selling you a, a single issue for two or three bucks. Uh, than they do if you buy stuff and just start lending it to all your friends. So problem that still needs to be solved. But uh, Comixology seems to have done a great job with this market. And I think that they, you know, bringing them to Amazon is going to provide an even bigger outlet for them. So uh, I think it sounds like a win-win. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. But I feel I feel positive about it. So yes. Well, we'll we'll see, as you said. Uh, speaking of things that I'm positive about, uh, the other piece of news I saw this morning that I thought was pretty interesting was, uh, so we talked, I mean, we've talked a bit in the past about CarPlay, um, which is Apple's iOS in the car initiative. And there was news this morning, potentially a report um, from the Nikkei Asian Review that um, Alpine, which is a popular aftermarket electronics company, will start selling a standalone aftermarket unit for your car that will be carplay compatible Ooh! so that's exciting because so far apple's only announced that they'll be working with i think they have a decent number maybe a dozen different vendors right now 
Um, some of which are really like, yeah, so if you buy your Ferrari, uh, you know, you can get CarPlay in it, but, you know, not quite as nice as, uh, as many other options. There's not a lot of other options necessarily right now. And, of course, the, the interesting part with that, you know, people talk about Apple entering the TV market a lot. And I feel like one of the complaints that gets levied against it is you don't want to replace your TV every two years when there's a new version, right? Well, you definitely don't want to replace your car every two years. No, cars are a little bit more expensive than uh, than your average gadget. Yeah, and even so, in this case, I mean, they're estimating that this uh, this device, which would probably launch in the U.S. and Europe, would cost somewhere between five hundred and seven hundred dollars. So it's not cheap, um, you know. And uh, that said, if you look at, I think most that's pretty pretty uh, on par with most aftermarket units that are going to be of this kind of complexity. I mean, you can put in a, a radio or something for much cheaper. Um, but if you want to have all the features, and of course, this is going to need to have a big screen, probably a touch screen. Um, the one thing that I was kind of bummed about was uh, that it said it suggested in the piece that it only connects to the iPhone via uh, a cord. Which oh, is, that's a, that's like although most of the I most of the CarPlay right now is cord yeah. based. Although they're There's talking about Wi Fi, yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah, that could be potentially annoying. But I mean, I connect my iPhone to to so many things in the car already. It's not like it's free sure. floating. Well, I mean, I have Bluetooth streaming on my car, which I really like, and I kind of would be sad to miss out on that. But at the same time, I yeah, I don't know. I it, it's weird, and cars are weird because they're so locked down. So it's unclear if you're doing this sort of aftermarket modification how that's going to play with your individual car. I mean, because they're all so proprietary. Um, there are some certain standardizations in terms of like the slots that things go into, right? But at the same time, you know, every car company has its own software. This is part of the problem. They all have their own software and hardware right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be very hard for all of the car manufacturers to get things put into place in a limited time fashion. And I think the idea of having sort of an aftermarket uh, compatible AirPlay device to put in might actually be more beneficial for Apple than uh, than trying to work with every single major car manufacturer because then, you know, you have the people who have their beloved, you know, VW bugs that are 15, 20 years old, etc. Um, and it's kind of hard to say, yeah, no, we'll get rid of these you, you, just to just to get a new car with this one specific feature. Right. It's it not a bullet crazy. point. It's not a thing that's going to make. I mean, it's not like if all, you know, like hover cars came out tomorrow, we'd all be like, oh, yeah, well, I'm totally going to trade in my car for a hover car because that's a no brainer. Yeah. Um, different kind of technology. Yeah. So I and I, I don't know. It will be interesting because I mean, I want to know, am I going to be able to like drive up to my local Apple store and they'll like come out and put this in like <laughs> I can buy it and they'll put it in like that's, you know, there are questions for that for me. Like, well, where's the where's the market for this? Because you know, aftermarket car components, most people do not upgrade their car electronics. Yeah, it's just not, not so a big much. market. So, you know, is this something that we're going to see in Best Buys and then you'll have to like get installed there or at like your your individual uh, sort of deal, not dealer, but like a um, car audio place and you'll have to go there and get it installed. And it seems tricky because it's a, it's, it's a market where it's not exactly like everything is sold to the end user directly. I mean, I guess it, you know, it kind of is, but at the same time, there are all these middlemen because of this sort of extremely specialized nature of it. You can certainly put in your own car stereo if you have the right instructions and you know what you're doing, but it's not something that most of us do. It's not just like plugging, you know, a USB device in, right? So I'm kind of curious. Uh, I, I don't think I'll probably put one in, at least not of this first generation. Um, but, you know, we'll see and we'll see how it goes, right? Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how it develops because while I just bought a new car and don't want to buy a new one in any near time frame, um, 
I hate the electronics in it and would be much more interested to see what would happen if I could have a CarPlay device. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Are you going to put one in or are you you're pretty happy with what you have? Um, uh, TBD, I think. Uh, I'm going to wait and see what uh, how this sort of develops and, and what the final product looks like. Uh, I definitely, you know, I have a replacement in my car stereo already that I've replaced a Bluetooth uh, stereo set. So I'm not adverse to the idea of doing some light car modifications, uh, but I need to find out, you know, how easy is it going to be? What is it actually you take? Um, and from there, we'll, we'll figure things out. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Um, let's pause for a moment for a word from our first sponsor. Uh, and this episode of Macworld is brought to you by iFixit.com, the world's free online repair manual for everything. Free step-by-step repair guides with foolproof instructions to fix all your coolest stuff. If you've shattered your iPad display, need to repair your MacBook Pro, or need to swap the battery on your iPhone, iFixit's got you covered. They have thousands of repair guides for electronics like your smartphone, tablet, and game console. They can even hook you up with parts you'll need to fix it, and everything they sell is tested and guaranteed. Uh, best of all, iFixit designs and manufactures the most trusted repair tool for electronics, including the ProTech Toolkit. Um, this is a pretty cool uh, a toolkit. It's like a, one of those crazy, like you ever been to like a car uh, repair shop and they have like these big sort of flappy things that they unroll and it's got like every tool ever in it. This is kind <laughs> of the equivalent of that for uh, for tech upgrades. So it's got 70 tools um, and, you know, according to them, they say it's the gold standard for electronic work. Um, and everybody from garage hackers to the CIA and FBI, um, it's got a 54 bit, uh, screwdriver kit, um, which includes not only your standard sort of Phillips bits and even your more, uh, unusual torques and torque security bits, but also the, the pentalobe screwdrivers that are specific to iPhones and Mac laptops. Um, the bits that the tri-wing bits they use in video game consoles, and apparently even a triangle bit that works on McDonald's toys. So, you know, that's pretty much every bit you can think of. Uh, in addition, they include uh, a nice uh, precision tweezer set that's safe for doesn't cause electrostatic discharge. Some spudgers, which are handy little tools that all of us who've opened a computer know about where you can sort of pry things off. Um, a bunch of other uh, tools of, for pretty much everything you could ever need to do. It's all backed by a one-year warranty. And best of all, the, you can get all of these thousands of free iFixit guides, which will help you use those tools for a variety of projects. Maybe at some point they'll tell you how to install a CarPlay unit in your car. Maybe. Yeah. So uh, check them out at iFixit.com slash Macworld for all the free repair guides you'll ever need. And when you find that perfect part or tool, use the coupon code Macworld at checkout and get $10 off your order of $50 or more. That's iFixit.com slash Macworld. Thanks, iFixit. What else have you found in uh, in the news lately that's worth talking about, Dan? Well, I was really interested in some of the news that came out of Dropbox last week. Ah, uh, yes. They they tried to. I felt like they tried to do like an Apple thing, right? Where they they had an event and they just sort of rolled out like all these new things and announcements and all that. So I want to know from you what was the thing in that list of announcements that you were most interested in. Uh, most interested in of all of those was Carousel, actually, Dropbox's new sort of front end on uh, iOS for uh, for the photos that you have stored in your Dropbox. I haven't been a huge fan of Dropbox's image capture and their, you know, uh, their initial 
foundations to try and store your iPhone photos because it just it wasn't you know it wasn't quite working for me it was just it was just a you know a random folder of camera upload and and put put all of your iPhone pictures there including your screenshots and it's it's just a file system so it's it's the idea that you'd have an app that you can actually look at the photos that you've taken and you can add other photos that you've taken and it all scrolls along in a beautiful time-based format it's like yeah I can totally get behind this and you know i've i have accounts with several photo cloud sharing services and it would be nice if i could just pay one person to to store everything uh unfortunately carousel i think is still very much a 1.0 product and instead of it still it suffers from the same kind of problems that camera upload suffers mm-hmm. from where Carousel currently just pulls from your entire Dropbox, which means that, you know, my Dropbox contains work stuff. It contains backups of my iPhoto library. It contains a backup of all of my artwork. Uh, So when I load Carousel, I get, you know, lovely pictures from when I went to Italy. And then I have it right next to random drawings of like a cat that I scribbled on a post-it and decided to, to store in Dropbox at the time or uh, or app icons that I've reviewed in the past. Um, and there's no way to find that in your Dropbox. There's no like direct link between the Dropbox carousel app and Dropbox. So it's like, oh, I meant to delete these icons. If only I knew where they were. Well, sorry, you don't get to find that out. You can delete, which I found. I didn't – at first it looked like you would just hide images from carousel. So maybe – yeah, that's kind of nice. So you can hide certain things that you don't want to be publicly, uh, or not publicly, but pr- um, up in front in the in the app. Uh, and it turns out that there is a sub a subsection in the preferences folder of hidden things. And if you go there, you have the option to delete all of those from your Dropbox or delete them one at a time. But there's no way to be like, yes, the all of this artwork I want to hide. But these app icons I want to delete and trying to differentiate between the two of them is is a little annoying. So it's long-winded. But um, yeah, I I think Carousel is promising and intriguing, but I don't necessarily think it's there yet. Yeah, I wasn't super impressed with it on my first sort of test run of it. Um, also, it keeps uploading <laughs> – since it's uploading all my pictures, I never had any of my pictures stored in Dropbox before other than like random things. But I never had the camera upload feature on. Um so I just I've noticed that a couple yeah you know, like I'll be sitting in front of one of my computers and all of a sudden it'll start like uploading a bunch of files to my Dropbox and I'm like ah oh, what is going on because I guess it takes advantage of sort of when you're not doing anything or when it thinks you're not doing anything to upload some files ah. so yeah and but I have the same problem you do which is I have a lot of icons and screenshots and stuff like that that I don't really care about um, and and honestly I realize that's maybe kind of a niche problem for a lot of people. Um, because you know we we both run into this as a result of our jobs. Most people probably don't take a ton of screenshots, but if someone comes up with at some point an app that filters out all your screenshots, wow! I yes. would totally love that. <laughs> Pay lots and lots of money for that. <laughs> yeah. So app developers, if you're listening, there's a great idea for you, and it's free. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I like the idea of sort of having cloud photos everywhere, but it is weird right now because all these companies are making plays for it, and nobody's quite cracked it. I mean, I have some photos on Flickr. I have some photos in iCloud, I have some photos in Dropbox, I have some photos I didn't upload anywhere, and it's like, it would be great to have one central source to put all of those, and 
And just pay Easily. one person. Yeah. Um, but instead, I've got like six different <laughs> options, and none of them are quite satisfactory to me. So on the upside, I have a lot of my photos backed up in a bunch of different places, so I can't really lose them. Um, but it's definitely a fragmented market right now. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see where that goes. I was um, There were a couple other things I was interested in from Dropbox. One was uh, they announced that they're going to – they moved Mailbox, the, their mail client, which is launched on iOS, to Android. I believe that launched last week. That's right. And uh, they're also starting up a beta of Mailbox for Mac. Now, I don't know. I'm not a huge... I, I never really got into Mailbox, especially after that whole introductory thing where they had like the, the waiting queues. You had to like wait for a long time before you actually got to use the app, even after you downloaded it. It was um, a while. Yeah. Our colleague, Lex Friedman, was a... Or a former colleague, I should say. Lex Friedman was a big fan of it, I know. Um but on the Mac side, I don't know. I've been so frustrated with Mail under Mavericks that I'm kind of interested to see how well Mailbox does. The big problem for me is it doesn't work with all my mail providers because uh, I think it only works with Gmail, iCloud. I think that might be it. Yeah, there's no Exchange support. Yeah, which is so at work we use Exchange, which is a little tricky. And I also have just sort of a vanilla IMAP account that I use um, for other stuff that I can't really get access to so i'm intrigued by the idea of you know a better mail client i do like to see competition in that space especially when you're dealing with you know an offering from apple that is free and comes with every computer a lot of people have felt like well maybe it's not worth our time to try and build something better when 90 percent of people are just going to stick with what their computer came with um, but it's nice to see people trying to deal with innovations in email because email is one of those things that we all use all the time. And everybody and, has different ideas on how email should work. Right. And that that's what makes it hard to, to make a good solution for it. But it is something that we use every day. And so much of it hasn't really changed <laughs> in the last couple decades, right? Everything is still kind of the way that you used to do it in terms of yeah, you send it's you know, you open a window, you type in a name, you type in a subject, you type in a body, you add attachments if you want. Like the basics of it haven't really changed at all. So, it's interesting to see people trying to figure out what's a way we can sort of try and turn this on its head and try something new. Um so I'm intrigued by that. I don't know. Um I I did put my name in the hat for the mailbox beta, but haven't heard anything back yet. Um they had a couple other announcements. Sort of one of the big contentious ones at the time was that they appointed uh, Condoleezza Rice to their board. Yeah, that was not pointedly announced at their fancy event. <laughs> yeah, sort of an afterthought later. And our, um, I know some people, including our colleague Chris Breen, who I'm sitting in for, uh, took issue with that and have decided to try and seek out alternative sources of cloud storage. Um, for me, it's one of those things where it's like, well, I don't know, boards, boards of directors, I, I understand and I, I sympathize with people who feel that strongly about these things, but it's always unclear to me just how much, you know, influence they have. Um, and some people just don't want to give them any of their money. And I think that's fine. If you don't want to give that person your money, you, you know, and you're willing to leave, go ahead. Um, it's probably not going to make me leave just because I really like Dropbox. It works really well. And I've had trouble finding other things that work as well. But there are certainly no end of other cloud storage alternatives out there. It's I think true. I have about four icons <laughs> on my menu bar. There are plenty of alternatives. Um, if yes, if uh, Dropbox is no longer your cup of tea, um, I yeah, I, it's it's hard to talk about the issue without delving into to politics. But uh, you know, there's there is nothing wrong uh, with not wanting to support a company because they're employing or you know putting someone on the board who's 
views you may you may disagree with. If that's if that's the problem, then uh, then there are other services. That's the nice thing about the internet. Plenty of plenty of yeah, uh, we services the, in the sea. Same with the photo thing earlier, right? Like, yeah. Well, in some ways, that makes your job easier because now there's one less photo site that you have to worry about. Um, serious. Well, what else did you have on your list, Ren? Oh gosh, let's see. Well, um, we haven't talked about the billboard story yet, have we? No, um, let's discuss that. Yeah, so uh, so Billboard last week, last Wednesday, actually, after our podcast went up, uh, posted a story about uh, iTunes Radio having a rather underwhelming start uh, and potentially has has caused Apple to to light a fire under this business and pursue other options, including. Uh, other alternate streaming services and uh, maybe even opening up the iTunes store for Android, which is a rumor that's kind of been going around, which is uh, which is interesting. Um, Dan, what do you think about this? I, you know, the Android thing, I did think it's interesting because it's one of those things that at first blush, I think everyone's like, that sounds stupid. And then when you think about it a little more, you're like, no, actually, it kind of makes sense. Um, I'm, I've sort of recalled the uh, classic Steve Jobs line about, I think it was actually about Safari on Windows, um, which was the offering a glass of ice water to someone in hell. <laughs> um, classic Steve. Uh, and I, you know, uh, that's part of it. But I think, you know, when you look back at the iTunes store, obviously the iTunes store launched on the Mac back in 2003, but it wasn't really until they moved it to Windows that it really took off. And the same, you know, in terms of moving iTunes, the software to Windows so that it could sync with the iPod and thus Windows users might buy an iPod um, it, for the simple reason that it just opened it up to a lot bigger portion of the market. And in the same way that Apple sort of tries to hit a lot of big, you know, like the sort of the mainstream of customers and then expand into making the rest of their their products you know appealing to people in more niche markets i think you know in the same way that they did with um with the iphone where they launched on at&t you can only get on one carrier and then they've slowly over the last several years pretty much any carrier you want now so you know putting it on android despite the fact that you know much is made of market share and it may not have a lot of significance this is one of those cases where putting the itunes store on android could be a huge boon for them because it opens up a huge portion of the market that they otherwise can't really tap um, a lot of people even the people who might have android phones and macs might buy music from itunes but if they can't listen to it on their smartphones if they have an android phone or a windows phone or what have you they might be less inclined to purchase music from them. Um, and so it certainly seems like a good way to take a huge chunk of the market that they have not previously been able to get at and knock it off in one fell blow. I mean, none of that is to say that it would be a huge success right out the gate. Obviously, we were discussing this last week because I was wondering who the biggest purveyor of music is. Yeah, outside of... <laughs> On the Android ecosystem, whether it's mm -hmm. Amazon um, or Google Play or what have you, I, I I kind of have a suspicion that it might not, I mean, that both of those things might be dwarfed by music streaming on, on Android. But that's totally, that's backed up by nothing other than sort of a gut feeling. Yeah, well, I mean, streaming has taken off quite a lot. And, of course, part of the numbers in the Billboard article are about the dramatic decline of music downloads and how folks are less inclined to buy an album and more likely to have a subscription on radio or Pandora or Beats Music. And, you know, as as a recent – I won't say convert because I still do buy music, but uh, – I, I've been listening to Beats quite a lot uh, and I absolutely love it. 
And so, like, I can I can definitely see why people are buying less music because it's it's a whole lot nicer to have someone's entire catalog open to you and being like, yeah, I really feel like listening to this album, but this today, but it's not an album that I want for the rest of my life. Like, maybe yeah. sometimes you just have to have like your jonesing for a for a specific genre or specific music, but you don't necessarily want to own it, um, and you do want to provide the artists with income and not, you know, be a bad person and steal the music. So streaming makes a lot of sense for that. And, you yeah, know, the, the try before you buy aspect is big for me. Like, yeah, we went, you know, we saw the the new Captain America movie the other week. And I thought, oh, yeah, I want to listen to the soundtrack for that. But I don't I don't want to go ahead and buy it if it didn't like I wasn't sure if I wanted to buy it or not. And so I was like, well, I'll go give it a listen. So I, I fired up Spotify and I just listened to it on Spotify um and decided yeah it's all right and but i can like i'm it's not going to be something i listen to over and over so much that i need to own it but i might launch up spotify every once in a while or one of those other services and just listen to it there instead so that that makes a pretty solid argument not only for that but, but before apple moving into streaming right yeah no i mean it's we don't really know where what that that path portends. You know, Apple could move into streaming. Apple could decide that it wants to do a streaming service. Apple could decide that uh, streaming is not in their best interest right now and may cannibalize the iTunes Store to without necessarily offering too much, so much extra in the way of streaming. Right. It just, I think it. It, I say, it, you know, you have to wait and see. But at this time, I really think we do. Well, it's a math problem, right? Where it's yeah. the well, okay, we're our our sales numbers are declining as a lot of these, or maybe aren't growing as fast because a lot of these streaming services. If we introduce a streaming service, and they have, right? I mean, they have iTunes Radio. Yeah. And, and the point of this Billboard article was mainly that iTunes Radio doesn't seem like it's done that great. It's not, and it's not quite it's the streaming beast, service. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like if you if you compare iTunes Radio. Um, to the varied other streaming services, you know, like iTunes radio has channels, but those channels are pre-programmed and you can't really do much with them. Um, and iTunes radio is missing a lot of still missing some artists that people would like to listen to. It's classical selection is not very big. Um, there, there are some limitations there. Yeah. Well, I, I will be interested to see what happens there. Um, but I'd like to pause for a moment. And have a word from our second sponsor, New Relic. This one goes out to the developers, the people who make the tools and apps that power the devices we love. As a developer, you can pour your blood, sweat, tears, and late nights and weekends into your app and release it. But what then? Wait around for a few people to leave a review at the App Store to determine if it's working the way it should and reaching the audience you intended? Hardly. New Relic can help, as it's helped major companies across the globe. New Relic is a software analytics company that makes sense of billions of metrics across millions of apps. They help the people who build modern software understand the stories their data is trying to tell them, the kind of customer using the app, where to best target the app for future growth, and how the app is performing in the wild. New Relic helps everyone's software work better. The software that powers our apps, runs our databases, manages our accounts, and runs e-commerce sites and email programs. When software breaks, everyone loses. New Relic helps improve your software performance so your users have a better experience and your business is more successful. If you're a developer seeking greater insight into your data, give New Relic a try. It's easy. Just go to newrelic.com slash macworld for a free 30-day trial. That's newrelic.com slash macworld to start getting the information you need from the apps you've created. And we're back uh, with a couple more topics to talk about before we disappear for the evening. Uh, Dan, you know... 
I don't know if you've been following this Apple versus Samsung trial. It's little. You probably haven't heard about it. <laughs> Who is Samsung? I don't know. Well, he sung for his supper. And <laughs> uh, so the trial, you know, keeps on leaking more and more intriguing. Oh, so intriguing bits of data. Last week we found out that uh, – that our good friend Phil Schiller may or may not be the Hulk in disguise. And this week, apparently, we find out that uh, those Galaxy Tab numbers that uh, Samsung was floating around uh, a couple months ago, all not real. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting point. I guess this is actually a little bit... I was trying to figure out exactly when, uh, which numbers they were quoting here. Because um, I think this is from 2000. 11? Oh, yeah. So a couple years back. Yeah. So I, mean, I say it's a, a couple while. months, I meant a couple years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's confusing, right? Because, you know, data gets moved around and sales numbers aren't available until after things sell. But basically, the gist of this is that they said they sold like twice as many as they actually sold. And some of that was movement around in terms of saying, oh, what we've actually sold to people versus what we've pushed through the channel it's like well, through uh, yeah. versus I direct mean, sales yeah yeah so consider the difference between if if samsung says hey best buy you want to sell our tablet we're going to send you a million units um those aren't a million units that i mean best buy presumably paid some money you know wholesale prices or what have you to samsung to yes. buy those units and so samsung is counting those as sold because <laughs> technically they are sold <laughs> they're just not sold to Users, they're sold to retail institutions or, you know, the middlemen, basically, right? So it seems unclear, you know, when they were listing sales numbers, what exactly you know, they were counting as a sale. Yes. It, uh, looking at the, the different graphs, it's, uh, it's kind of shocking. And the, uh, the exhibits from the trial, uh, I guess, are uh, implying that Samsung may have actually misled investors as well as analysts. I mean, IDC was reporting, and it's, IDC is a partner company with uh, with IDG, but they generally are, are very, you know, they're thorough uh, folks who really like fact-checking and really like making sure that their numbers are accurate. Uh, but for several years, they have been, you know, misrepresenting the tablet market partially because of these numbers, which is crazy to me. Well, it's always unclear and to me. And Gartner, for that matter. You well, know, big, it, big analysts. It's always unclear to me exactly how dependent these uh, analyst firms are on information from the company, right? You know, if they are beholden in some ways to Samsung or Apple or any manufacturer saying, we, we sold this many, right? How do, you, how do you generate enough data to confirm or deny that? You're always going to be a little bit off, probably. And if you look at the... They all have their own formulas and their own ways of determining that. And if you look at like market share stuff, especially in the PC market, IDC and Gartner will often have different numbers, right? I mean, and obviously, it can't be both. No. I mean, it's, so the... And, and honestly, in both cases, it's probably not either, right? It's probably somewhere around it's those somewhere numbers. somewhere in They're, between. But They are estimates. Yeah. But for the estimates to be that far off... Um, it's a it's a little bit crazy, especially because you know Wall Street uh, focuses on those when they're making their predictions, and and it's been I mean I I would say it has burned Apple a little bit over the past few years to uh, 
to have people constantly putting out stories saying, oh, well, the ta- their, their part of the tablet market share is rapidly shrinking and Apple is doomed. And I know we've heard that refrain over and over again, but that doesn't mean that, you know, there aren't shareholders and stockholders that, that believe that, right? Sure. I mean, it, it's hard to say, right? I mean, I, I don't know how much your, your average consumer probably is not paying a ton of attention other than, you know, if they're the kind of people who like to argue with their friends about this, they might be having, you know, throwing these out as data points, right? But um, I don't think your average user who's buying an iPad is making that decision based on these numbers. No, I don't think but it's you're right about the average user, but it's it's the company – the company as a whole and the the financial healthiness of uh, of the company's stock price, which again is not necessarily something that the average user is interested in. But if all of a sudden Apple's stock price takes a huge dip and you own some Apple stock and it's because of you know wrong information, that's going to be annoying. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely the case. But yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to this whole thing sometimes strikes me as just a little bit like vague in terms of how you how you come by all these numbers and and certainly as much as I'd like to trust you know any company including Apple when they say we've sold x million <laughs> um without you know again Apple keeps a very tight lid on certain parts of its financial results right like they don't break out certain product lines they won't tell you how many Mac Pros they sold versus how many MacBooks or how many MacBook Airs versus how many MacBook Pros right they don't they don't that all of that is sort of they consider that private knowledge, knowledge that is, uh, you know, not for public consumption. Um, and so, you know, there is a difference between that and outright misrepresenting your numbers. But everybody is definitely trying to make their numbers look as good as possible, of right? Course. That's the whole game. So I, I always take all of these numbers with kind of a grain of salt. And while it does seem kind of horrendous for them to have Samsung to have lied about this and especially all these other companies to have picked that up. I also kind of feel like, well, yeah, I'm not shocked by it. <laughs> no. Again, uh, surprised? Uh, not so much. So, yeah. Well, I think we all feel pretty good about iPad sales. Uh, and I don't know. I don't see that many people in the wild with a Galaxy Tab these days. I, I see many more people with Android smartphones than with Android tablets. Yes. Well, and the app market, of course, is a big deal for that because Android has gotten a, a decent amount of apps on on smartphones these days and uh, and the Google Play Store and things like that is is nice and bustling. Uh, when it comes to Android tablets, they're either running very specific pieces of software like the Kindle Fire tablet uh, or they're just the the apps aren't quite there. I mean, the screen sizes for all those tablets are just so varied that it's a, a little bit hard. Yeah. So I I don't know. I'm not I'm not too bothered by this and I, I don't think I would lose too much sleep over it though if I were, you know, someone working at an analyst firm or Samsung, I might I might reconsider what I'm reporting. <laughs> My day to day jobs. Yes. Um so uh I think that's just about everything that we had to talk about today. Uh Dan, do you have anything else before we wrap this up? Uh actually just to sort of, you know, uh, keep on that last topic for a second. I wanted to point to an editorial from earlier this week from our colleague Jason Snell talking about the wearables market. Yes. Um, and sort of this whole idea that if Apple doesn't produce this a wearables device in 60 days, it's doomed. And it sort of continues on this idea of analysts, in this case, financial analysts, um, who sort of seem to focus in on these ideas and shout them from the rooftops. And I think Jason's point is, you know, they're they're playing a different game than, than, you know, everybody else is, right? They've got a different agenda. 
their metrics of success and doom are very different than what the average person might think of. Yes. Yes, they are. And the wearables market in general, I mean, you mentioned, and Jason mentions in his piece, is going to be a fraction of uh, right. of the smartphone business. It's, it's supposed to be something like $110, 15000000000 in like four years from now, whereas smartphone sales are already at a billion. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's the way technology goes, right? There's definitely a lot of smaller sort of pings in between these giant world-beating products and... and you know, in 20 years, maybe the smartphone market will have been supplanted by something else entirely. Um, but, you know, it's not something that gets disrupted on a five-year cycle in the way that we have, for some reason, come to expect these days. Yeah, not so much. Right. And so Jason talks a little bit about, like, you know, people want stuff to be exciting, right? And so they really, you know, pump this stuff when it comes out, like, this is really exciting. This is a new hot thing, because we're all tech fans, and we, we really want to see the new cool thing and and have technology enable all these things that we do. It just it doesn't happen on the level of an iPhone or iPod or you know PC or Mac uh, every couple of years, right? It's it's a less common thing than a lot of us think. Yeah, it doesn't quite work so well. Um, well, before we wrap this up, a, a word from our third and final sponsor, um, that ShareFile by Citrix. At work, we send countless emails all day long. We communicate with clients and coworkers. And a lot of that time, we're sending uh, files that we attach for reference, review, you know, contracts, spreadsheets, presentations. We send a lot of stories back and forth at Macworld. Um, but sending them as regular email attachments isn't the way to do it anymore. So consider ShareFile by Citrix. It's the business solution that allows you to exchange files quickly and securely. With ShareFile, your attachments are sent as secure links, they allow you to send files of almost any size and control who has access and the levels of permission that they have. You can even confirm when files are received with tracking and email alerts. And best of all, ShareFile is easy. You can access your files anywhere, at any time, and even create shared folders that sync automatically across your computer and mobile devices. So ShareFile, uh, sign up today for a 30-day free trial with no obligation. Go to ShareFile.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. Remember, visit ShareFile.com and type in Macworld. And that's the show. I think that's about all we have time for this week. I, I can't guarantee, but I can strongly suggest that Chris Breen will once again return next week. Fingers crossed. As much fun as it has been to host with you, Dan. It's been a uh, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Always. It's always nice to borrow you from Clockwise. Yes. Well, you can always catch me over there every week with Jason Snell as we host our weekly podcast on other stuff that's happened in the week, generally with a little more broad tech focus, not just Apple, but there's some Apple stuff in there, too. And the watching of the clock, of course. Yeah, that's the important part. 30 minutes or your podcast is free. Well, it's free anyway. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, keep an eye on everything else that we're doing at Macworld.com this week, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. And, Ren, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. 